0: To get your free audio gift, The Three Pillars of Achieving Your Perfect Weight Using the Mind-Body Connection, go to HealthyMindFitBody.com and enter your first name and email address and we'll send that to you right away.
1: Welcome everyone to Healthy Mind Fit Body Podcast number 33. This is Wes and I have Kevin on the other line. Hey, Kev. Hey, Wes. How's it going over there? Pretty good. This is a different sort of podcast because I'm actually not here. Well, basically it's the same thing for all podcasts because it's time-shifted. It's not live. But I wasn't able to partake in this interview we have coming up with Joseph Brandenburg. And we're recording the intro to the podcast. So,
0: Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was a great interview, so you guys will definitely enjoy what we talked about. And it's some
1: new stuff that we haven't really covered on the show before. Getting a personal trainer's perspective on the issue of weight loss and fitness and so forth. And Joseph has a couple websites. One is his blog, JosephBrandenburg.com.
0: Yeah, and his other website
1: is thebodyyouwant.com. Mm-hmm. And he takes various personal trainers to task on their lack of thinking outside the box, the uh, textbook box that they're trained with, I guess.
0: Yeah, we definitely had an outside the box conversation.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I am going to see you on the other side of the interview. Sounds good.
0: All right, well, I'm real excited to have Joseph Brandenburg on the show today. Joseph is Washington, D.C.'s number one fat loss expert for busy people. He helps normal people with hectic schedules and average genetics create the bodies they want in the time they actually have. Joseph is an award-winning Washington, D.C. personal trainer with 10 years of professional experience. He holds certifications from ACE, NASM, NCEP, INLP, and the Czech Institute. Joseph is also the author of The Body You Want and a nominee for 2009 Personal Trainer of the Year from Personal Fitness Professional Magazine. Joseph,
2: welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Oh, sure. It looks like you've got quite a lot of qualifications there as far as personal training go. I did personal training for a short time a few years ago, and I had a couple of those. I had the ACE and NASM which um, I thought NASM was really good. Uh, they taught a lot of really cutting-edge stuff.
2: Yeah, the NASM was pretty interesting. Probably the biggest thing that I still use today would be the foam roll. That would be the biggest
0: thing. Oh, yeah. The biggest thing. Yeah, and then the the Czech Institute. I know that guy's actually out here in San Diego. I, I yeah. think I met him once and went to one of his seminars.
2: You know, Gary Tobbs just moved to Berkeley.
0: Oh, really? Yep. Huh, interesting. Yeah, that's a little north of here, but... Um, so you've read a lot of the Tobbs Gary Tobbs stuff? I've read a lot of Tobbs. I've,
2: I've interviewed him a lot, and I ask him a lot of questions about a lot of stuff.
0: Good. Yeah, that's good. We're on the same page then, for sure. So on your blog, I saw that you said that uh, men are able to lose uh, 10 pounds of body fat, women are able to lose a dress size, and all that in four weeks. You know, can you kind of describe how you are able to do that?
2: Well, it's really, really simple because most people come in and they're doing everything wrong. So it's just sort of a matter of getting rid of the crappy training that they're doing and getting rid of the bad diet advice that they've gotten and replacing it with the sensible stuff. Like for example, most people think that you should be doing aerobic exercise or jogging or whatever to burn body fat. And and it turns out that uh, for sure it does not work in the positive and I am somewhat convinced, at least for people who are prone to gain excess body fat, that it works against you. So, you know, we get rid of that. We free up the time. And you don't really need that much of the good exercise and, you know, the, the smart metabolic acceleration, like resistance training and interval training, you know, the absolute most that I would ever give anybody would be four hours a week. So, you know, you get rid of the crap and you put in something that works and most people are... You know, avoiding fat and trying to starve themselves, which, you know, just leads to being hungry and binge eating and screwing up their metabolism. And you just sort of say, well, we'll not do that and let's do something that works. And there's the dress up.
0: Yeah. And it's that idea that people are working out so much that they're actually making themselves more hungry and then they end up overeating. Right.
2: Yeah. Actually, I think that specifically aerobic exercise makes people hungry. I actually think that anaerobic exercise has an appetite suppressing effect. I don't know if that's because it improves your insulin sensitivity, therefore you secrete less insulin, therefore you're less hungry because insulin makes you hungry and lazy, but I think it makes people less hungry automatically, not in terms of like, let's you know, use your willpower to starve you and yeah. try to get at the you know, the second, which law of thermodynamics is that? The one with the calories in, calories out? Yeah. You know, try to get at it with willpower, let's make that automatic, not make that a 24 hour day struggle.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I definitely, when I do my aerobic workouts, I'm way more hungry than if I'm going out and doing a weight session or some kind of strength training. So that makes sense. You're a triathlete, right? Uh, I do swimming and running. I don't really do the biking. So I'm I technically, I'm not. I've done some triathlons in the past, but I'm more into like the shorter stuff now. I used to be yeah. more of an aerobic, you know, endurance guy, but now I'm, I'm shifting into, uh, I like doing the short stuff, doing weights, and I do some yoga and things like that. But uh, Now, I saw also on your blog, I was interested in, uh, you're into the high-quality foods like the grass-fed beef and the omega-3 eggs, organic eggs, things like that. Now, which do you think is the bigger problem with weight loss? The people that are eating the poor quality of food, like poor quality meat, for example, uh, grain-fed beef or farmed fish or things like that, or people that eat just excess carbohydrates?
2: Definitely, the crappy carbs are... Higher priority. I mean, the other stuff, the bad food, is important. Um, it's not as important. So, if we were going to, like, you know, if we could only make one change, it would definitely be cut the bread out. Um, you know, twitching the grass-fed beef would not produce more results than, you know, somebody who has a bread-based diet, yeah. getting rid of the bread in their diet. Um, you know, it definitely makes a difference. I'm not sure, like, quantitatively how much it makes a difference, but it certainly makes a difference. And certainly important. And I, have you uh, read any research on like people? You know, they you know, one group of people that they fed them all pasture grazed food, and another group of people that they got to eat the regular grocery store stuff, and different than fat loss over twelve
0: weeks. No, in fact, Wes and I were just talking about that, and we were hoping that there was a study out there on it because there is a lot of talk out there about. You know, grass-fed is so much better than grain-fed and, you know, the stuff that you'll get at the fast food restaurants is, is horrible and, you know, things like that. But my question was, is it, you know, like, for example, the fast food stuff, if you were to just take out, you know, not order the soda, not have the fries, take out the bun and everything – I mean, you're still not getting a really super high-quality meat, but isn't that a lot healthier than going out and getting an organic sandwich with, you know, 100 grams of carbs or something like that? Yeah, 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 for sure.
2: (laughs) Yes, it's far healthier than an organic sandwich on organic bread with grass-fed beef because you got two slices of bread.
0: Yeah, so yeah. I mean, I think it's good to definitely shoot for the higher-quality meats for sure. But um, at the same time, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that's the priority for sure. It's lower on the list. Yeah, exactly. It
2: should be on your list, but it's
0: lower on the list. Yeah, right. And here's another one that I think we're really aligned on. Uh, With all the nonsense that comes out of kind of the governmental agencies with all the letters like the USRDA and FDA and things like that, and even the American Heart Association, how would you suggest that people go about finding out correct information when it comes to nutrition?
2: Well, I'll tell you my filter. Um, and I I, took, I did four years of um, dietetics work at the University of Maryland College Park, which is like the top ten. And I was just appalled at how stupid everybody was. However, <laughs> um, like the biochem classes and organic chemistry, that was all very useful uh, to be like, to understand literature better. Um, basically, if the USDA or the RDA said it, it's probably wrong, and that's a real good filter to start with. So if they said it, you can pretty much assume that that's wrong and they're off track. And if a registered dietitian said it, you pretty much assume that they're probably wrong. Uh, That would be a good way. In terms of finding out information for themselves, if you see a study in the news and it's about weight loss or something like that that you're interested in, you cannot, you absolutely possibly cannot take the word of the article or the researcher, go on PubMed or wherever, You know, that article is published and you have to read the entire study and you can't just read the answer. Take a look at the whole thing. how were the methods set up and did the stat people, you know, play magic with the numbers and all that? You just cannot take stuff from newspapers that they found Yeah. Can't do it. Because all the time, like last year, New England Journal of Medicine published the study saying that, you know, low carb versus low fat, only calories matter. So you go back and it was probably like the first four paragraphs, how they set up the study. There was a quote low carb group, but the researchers instructions to the low carb group were to eat large quantities of carb-rich, low glycemic index foods. And it's like, well, how can you have a low carb group that eats lots of carb-rich foods that would not seem to, you know, it was kind of seem like you didn't test your hypothesis because there was no low carb group. Yeah. But of course, you know, Every newspaper, every major television station was running around saying, oh, well, we have ended the debate because we did this stupid-ass study.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how that happens. And yeah, I think the smarter, like when I'm in discussions with people, just in general, the more educated they are, sometimes the harder it is to kind of convince them that low-carb is the way to go and that you know, if you want to lose weight, it's it's about the insulin and not about uh, eating calories in, calories out and I've had discussions with people that have PhDs that are just, <laughs> just insisting that I'm completely wrong and uh, it's tough but that just goes back to like, what you were saying anyone that has that dietitian degree or uh, you know, a degree from a from university typically they're getting the information from agencies that are uh, just you know, giving you a lot of nonsense
2: So this is one example from my, like, my time in dietetics major of course nutritionists are always like you know, too much protein, bad, bad, bad and so in the textbook, they've had to retract this. In the textbook, it would say eating excess protein is harmful for your kidneys, and there would be a star next to it. And if you, you know, go down and look at the bottom of the page with a footnote, it would say there is no evidence to support that excess protein is harmful to the kidneys of normal, healthy people. But that's in very small print at the bottom. Most people are going to... And you know, and this isn't the textbook. Like, Why wouldn't you just leave it out? Because it's
0: yeah. not true. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, you came from a background, uh, you were actually overweight at one point. But yeah,
2: I mean, as a kid, they called the blubber thing in summer camp. And, um, pretty much from the age of eight on, every time I went to the doctor, every time I would go, he would say, Oh, Joseph, you're so, you're so fat. Like, you're so fat. Stop being so fat. There was no, like, practical advice. It was just sort of, well, let's make Joseph feel horrible about himself yeah. for being fat. So,
0: yeah. So then how were you able to eventually overcome that and lose the weight and get down to uh, you a know, healthy level?
2: Well, a lot of trial and error. Initially, like the first thing, the first piece of advice that I got was it's all calories in versus calories out. If you eat less and you exercise more, you will lose weight. Now, however, that is true, by the way. If you starve yourself enough, you will absolutely positively lose weight. The problem becomes: Is this sustainable? And in my opinion, for the vast majority of people, it is not sustainable. Right. But the way that that works is that you know if you starve somebody, you put them in like a severely fasted or semi-starved state, you know they will have a different insulin response to food. So it wasn't the calorie deficit; it was the metabolic change as a result of the calorie deficit. But you could do it the other way around. Um, you know just. Clean up their food source, and you get a different insulin response, and you get the body composition you want without being hungry and feeling horrible all the time. Yeah, uh, and without like losing your libido and all the other wonderful nasty side effects that come along with starving. Yeah, um, but it was basically it was a long time of yo-yo dieting, long, long time of yo-yo dieting, and getting to the point where I was like working out 11, like, 12 hours a week, and you know starving. And just sort of realizing, well, you know, a brief flicker of sanity, maybe, you know, maybe this does not work. Yeah. And that just opened me up to sort of before, if somebody had said something contrary to it's all calories in, it's all calories out, I would simply block them out as they're retards and they don't know what they're talking about. But the sort of repeated failure over and over again, just sort of opened that door to say, well, maybe I could listen to somebody who's saying something else. So I something else. Got rid of all the aerobics. Um, at this point, I work out like three hours a week, maybe three and a half. And I eat as much as I feel like eating. And I am you know, about 200 pounds, around about 10% body fat. That's awesome.
0: Now, going back to, we were talking about aerobic exercise. How do you think that it became such a craze in America that you, know, you have to do aerobic, some kind of aerobic exercise every day? And do you think that that is uh, extended? Is that throughout the world or is that mostly just here?
2: I have no idea about the rest of the world, but I'm going to assume that probably like all the other places, like Western civilization anyway, we, we all believe that. So it became the prevailing notion based off of a couple observations. Number one, exercise scientists noticed that elite, it's important to note elite endurance athletes are all really thin people. So the idea was, look, we could probably make these fat people thin if we just had them do what elite endurance athletes do. And we've had fat people run marathons and we studied them, and it does not work. Uh, you know, 18 month training program, men will lose like five pounds, women will lose no pounds on average. Yeah. Well, obviously, there's variation in there, but that's the average. Um, and then also, it's the observation of what happens to your body metabolically. So, when you do aerobic exercise, that low intensity work, you are burning fat for fuel, mm-hmm. or predominantly fat for fuel. And when you're doing that, you know, high intensity in your sprinting or whatever, you're only burning carbohydrates. So it was looking at it and saying, well, if you want to reduce the amount of fat on a person's body, then if we're burning fat during the workout, that's going to result in less fat on the body. And that was, you know, there's just that logical assumption, but there wasn't the test later on to see what happens. But the logic, it sounds good on the surface, but if you take a look at something like strength training, like say, you know, I wanted to be able to bench press 300 pounds and you know, I did strength workouts specific for that. If you measured my strength at the beginning of the workout and the end of the workout, I'm going to be weaker at the end of the workout. Right. So if you were to conclude, you know, if you were to evaluate the efficacy of strength training based on what happens during the workout, you would assume that strength training works possible way to get a better bench press because you get weaker doing it. Yeah. But we know for a fact that that's not true because it's what happens between the workouts that produces the results. So it's not about what happens during your workout; it's about what your workout does afterwards. Right, right. And in fact, we know that doing low-intensity aerobic exercise reduces the amount of fat that your body burns at you know resting metabolism for at least the next 24 hours. We know at least 24; they stop measuring after 24. And we know that the high-intensity stuff increases your sort of how much of your own body fat that you access for the next 36 hours. And we know it's at least 36 because they stopped measuring at 36.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, uh, as far as the personal training goes, uh, what's the standard coursework for personal trainers to become certified? And does that entrench them in the nutritional and fitness status quo? Like we talked about the calorie theory of weight loss, things like that. The point where they are going to shun the evidence that's contrary to what they were taught in the courses and how to work with clients. Uh <laughs>
2: Well, okay, to become a personal trainer in 49 out of 50 states in the United States of America, you need a business card that says, I am a personal trainer. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: I have gotten my sister's pet pug certified as an expert level, you know, nationally certified personal trainer. Nice. You know, the, the reality is there are no freaking standards. Yeah. You look good in a t-shirt, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So there are people that take their careers a lot more seriously that will go and get an extra science, science degree from you know reputable university, and then go to the NSCA and get their CSCS, which is like I don't want to be mean, but it's the only certification that is probably the best certification. However, the best certification really be, it doesn't lead to you getting results with clients in real life. Right. But even for the people that are serious about it, I mean they're probably far more entrenched in the you know isolate this muscle group, isolate that muscle group, do aerobic exercise and star people lose weight. Any way you go at it, you're going to be in that calorie theory of weight loss. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess that makes sense from a business perspective. If you're trying to keep your clients coming back, you just want them on that uh, proverbial treadmill, you know, where they need your guidance there at all times. The literal treadmill. (laughs) Yeah, or the literal treadmill, right.
2: It sort of makes sense, but, well, I think anyway. I think it makes better business sense that, If you get people to where they want to go, they're much more loyal to you over the long haul because they love you and they appreciate you for getting them the results that they want. I mean, there's two different schools of thought there, I understand that, but I think that my school of thought is A, more ethical, B, more profitable.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think the truth sells. I mean, that's a good thing to always go by. Now, in terms of the weight exercises in the gym, where do you suppose that people get this idea that if they do certain exercises, that muscles that are activated will suddenly start to magically appear, like the abduction and adduction machines for inner and outer thighs? Uh, you know, not too many guys are using that, but you see the women
1: lining <laughs> up for it.
2: Uh, well, sort of. You know, people go in and they feel the burn. You know, where approximately they, they feel like they have a problem. And so there's just that assumption, oh, I feel a burn here. And, and the fitness industry in this day and age, most, I mean, you know, like the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, they talk about body parts. Body parts is geography. It's not physiology. So this is supposed to be the most scientific, the most reputable people, and they're assigning exercises based on geography. This is next to this muscle, therefore it's on Monday you know it basically everything is based off of bodybuilding basically focal there's the assumption that you know this muscle can work alone and that muscle does work alone and if you isolate this muscle you'll get this muscle to do something uh, what is true for or actually not even what's true what is useful for a person with incredible genetics lots of drugs and 16 to 20 hours a week that they will spend exercising and for whom An incredibly small change in a single part of their body is the difference between, you know, $100,000 or $250,000. I mean, like, they're applying that to general people. Yes. It's basically, it's just the leftover folklore from bodybuilding. And then also cadavers. Most of what we base our understanding of physiology off of is a study of cadavers. Like, for example, why do people do crunches for their abs? Because we took a cadaver and we removed all of the fascial covering that covers the body and connects all the muscles because you cannot get a single muscle without a scalpel. They don't exist otherwise. Mm-hmm. So basically they stick a hook on your, your abs and they yanked on it. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, somebody sits up. So therefore, you work your abs by sitting up. You do the same thing with electrode. You know, if you shock that muscle, the, the corpse sits up. That part of physiology is called biomechanics, which is life movement we're getting our understanding of how human beings work by sticking hooks and electrodes and cadavers. You know, it doesn't work the same with your body. Yeah. So it's just that, you know, everybody in positions of authority are telling them to get this muscle, you have to work that muscle all by itself to get it pumped.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was in uh, one of the gyms that I worked at a while back, (laughs) there was a machine called the butt blaster. And uh, everybody knew that it was a joke that it didn't. There was no point in doing it. But they couldn't get rid of it because if they tried to get rid of it, all the women would complain and and they'd want it. They demanded it.
2: So they just, did demand that.
0: Yeah, it's just the perception out there. It's it's interesting.
2: There's a better butt blaster. It's called a deadlift.
0: Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, and that's gonna work a lot of other muscles too. It's great. So now, why do you suppose there is so much focus on weight loss rather than fat loss? Every gym has scales, but uh, you don't see the body fat measuring devices out there too prevalent.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, there are a variety of reasons for that. Number one, a high quality scale will not cost you more than $350. That's for a very nice gig. Yeah. A bod pod will – bod pod is the thing – like you can get the density of a person, you fill it up with air. Like you know how much you know how big a thing it is, you know how much they weigh. It's like this chamber you fill up with air. So you find out how much space does a person occupy, how much does it weigh? From that you can get their density and from their density, because that's what you know, body composition is what are you composed of, you can figure out how much of you is fat, how much of you is muscle. It's the same way with like underwater weighing, except for you don't have to hold your breath underwater for a long period of time. You just do it with air. So you're not suffocating. So that kind of stuff is like, you know, like ten grand. That's expensive. Yeah. Um, DEXA, which is an X-ray thing, you know, that's probably the most accurate way to get your body fat percentage. You have to expose somebody to a lot of radiation, so like at most you can do that like twice a year. So those things are probably fifty thousand dollars and up. Health clubs are not gonna buy that, they're not gonna radiate their members, they're not gonna spend ten thousand dollars on a Pod. There is some other machine, like the body analyzer, it's new, it's very, very good. Um, But that's like five grand, so health clubs are not going to spend five grand on that. You can get a pair of calipers for two, three, four hundred dollars, and you know, actually most clubs don't even do that. But you can get a scale for 300 bucks versus ten thousand dollars, they're not going to spend that much money on it. And also it's much easier to measure, because to do with calipers, you need multiple thousands of measurements. Like you need somebody who basically went to grad school and they spent their entire time in grad school, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of calipers to be able to do it accurately. Like the skill of the personal trainer at a health club who's done it a hundred times, like it's, you know, like the variable is like plus or minus 10%. And like if you were 10%, it could come out of 0% or you could come out at 20%. So it's too difficult for most health clubs to measure. Yeah. Too difficult, too expensive.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I remember sometimes uh, doing the CalPERS back in the old days and you'd have somebody that <laughs> would come out and it would read that they were at the obese level, but you took a look at them and there's no way that they were obese. And it was hard to kind of tell them that, you know, because you knew it was, <laughs> but you wanted to give them some kind of reading. So yeah. It's always kind of tough.
2: And like a convenient alternative, um, a tape measure, like you can get, there's like Gulick brand G L I C K C K something like that. Um, it's a spring loaded tape measure, so there's like a little notch. You pull it to the notch. You have six ounces of tension on the tape. So if you are getting, you know, like if you're a woman, if your butt and thighs and waist are getting smaller, you are losing body fat. And for a man, pretty much, if your stomach's getting smaller, you're losing body fat. Yeah. So that is a cheap, simple, convenient, practical, you don't need a lot of skill to do method of measuring your body composition indirectly.
0: Yeah, that's a great piece of advice now what do you think it's going to take to turn around the mainstream ship full of fitness and nutrition myths or is it going to sink
2: (laughs) uh wow that's a big question and i have no idea i mean there's so much money there's so many people's careers that are invested in that there's you know entire government official stuff i mean i don't see that changing in the next 10 years I mean, you know, probably if you asked somebody like 30 years ago, what would it take? Oh, there would have to be a preponderance of research to say that all that is crap. We got that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing has changed.
0: Yeah. Not much has
2: changed. Yeah. I I mean, you know, if you you have like NIH, you have so many people that their careers and, you know, you've got the American Heart Association and they're selling um, seals for $50,000 to Cocoa Puffs. (laughs) They say, this is a heart healthy food. I mean, that's that's good money, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And the amount of grant money that they get and all the politicians that they're in their pocket, and they've all said publicly, the cognitive dissonance from decades of saying fat bad for you, carb good for you, or big exercise is fantastic. Although, you know, there's at least three studies that I know of that say that chronic endurance exercise is a bigger risk factor for a heart attack than sitting on your ass and watching television.
0: Wow. Yeah, well, I did talk to uh, a guy named Jonas Colting. He's in Sweden, and he said things are changing there quite a bit in terms of the way people are viewing carbs and, uh, you know, just the dieting and fitness and things like that. So maybe there's hope for us sometime in the future.
2: Long, in my opinion, a long time in the future. However, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to wait around for the government to get their head out of their ass. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, it just comes back to self responsibility and, you know,
2: I think most importantly, not letting the FDA, not opening that door by letting the FDA start to regulate salt consumption because then we're saying, all right, the government can officially decide what is right and wrong about health and fitness. Oh, yeah. And they can make that law. Like that's, And even if, it, even if salt did cause high blood pressure, and it doesn't, but even if it did, it's just not, it's not the government's responsibility to do that. Uh, you know, because then we're saying that you know they get to pick the winners and they get to pick the losers.
0: Oh yeah, and
2: that we cannot have a debate because it's illegal.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we actually covered that on our last podcast a bit, and uh, it would just be a horrible thing. I mean, even just this regulation of uh, trans fats. I mean,
2: yeah, even if they were going to say bread was illegal, and that you know, of course, that'd be something that I would be in, you know, in the surface in favor of. It's not. It's not their fault. People should be able to. If people want to eat poison, like that's, that's part of being free is people are free to do stupid
0: stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And people are free to be ignorant too. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we're, we're totally aligned on that, that it's just, uh, you know, you can't rely on any of these uh, official or authorities or anything like that to decide what's good for your health. So, and that's kind of how I think I came about it. And I think you did too. It's just, it's, things weren't working. So you tried something else and then you finally figured out what did work and, Stick with that instead of uh, just kind of going along with going with the flow.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, we cannot give them the power to, you know, basically that you know, all research would end. Like if, you know, they get to say, all right, this is healthy. That's unhealthy. Yeah, you know? yeah. there's no research. There's no debate. There's no, you know, the progression of the field of knowledge about what makes people healthy, what makes people thin, fitness, all that. Yeah. You, you know, that's like the beginning of the end of learning anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed you know looking at your blog, and I hope you continue to get the good word out there, and you know we'll do the same. So it's been great having you on the show. Thanks so much for all the information you've shared. I think uh, our listeners are going to really enjoy this one.
2: Thank you, Kevin.
0: Oh, sure. And good luck with everything that you're doing there. And um, I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll be in touch.
2: Good luck to you and for all of your listeners.
0: If you guys haven't picked up the copy of the Healthy Mind Fit Body, good book. Pick it up. I bought my copy. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And your website again is?
2: Well, for people interested in personal training in Washington, D.C., it's thebodyyouwant.com, all spelled out. And for people that are interested in my blog and my ramblings, it's josephbrandenberg.com, and that's J-O-S-E-F as in Frank, Brandenburg with a U.
0: Great. And I'll have those links in the show notes as well. Cool. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye.
1: And that concludes the interview with Joseph. Yeah, that was a great interview, wasn't it? it certainly was, yes. I listened to it after the fact, and he hit a lot of the key points in this industry that, that exists out there with the personal trainers. And I belong to 24-Hour Fitness, and I go to different clubs, and I'm always seeing personal trainers working with people. And it just seems so regimented. They got the person doing all these different exercises. And what is it adding up to? What is it amounting to? That's the question.
0: Yeah, I, I did the personal training thing for a while. I mentioned it on the interview and uh, I found the same thing. It was just, you know, you're taking people through routines and they're, you know, learning how to use all this equipment and three sets of 10 and all that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, ultimately the results aren't really in, in that kind of training. And I didn't like what I was doing because I didn't really even believe in it. So that's why I had to get out of that whole thing. But there are, you know, like Joseph, there are good trainers out there that know their stuff. But just because, obviously, they have letters by their name, you know, I think that's the point that we were getting at, that just the letters themselves don't mean anything. That can actually be a detriment. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Especially when you look at that material that you have to learn for some of those um,
1: certifications. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, not so good. But I do think the trend will change eventually if there's enough podcasts, if there's enough stuff going on on the web that people are demanding a different perspective that's actually based on the evidence. And, you know, Gary Tobbs has gone into the mainstream with this stuff, with New York Times articles and so forth. So it's yeah. not like it's remaining on the fringe. It's reaching into the, the core of the mainstream of nutrition and so forth. So eventually I think it's going to overwhelm all the people that are promoting the dogma and yeah. wanting to adhere to the high-carb calorie theory of weight loss and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I'm a, I'm a little more positive. But I mean,
0: I think he would agree also It just within, you know, 10 years, probably not.
1: But eventually. Eventually. That's why we're here. Yep. And if you want to know more about Healthy Mind, Fit, Body podcast, just go to our website, healthymindfitbody.com, and there you'll be able to download the free audio of the three pillars. three
0: pillars of achieving your perfect weight using the mind-body connection. Mm-hmm. And we're uh, upgrading the website. We should have some changes to you in maybe about a week or so.
1: Good deal. And, of course, we want to integrate the mind part of this perspective because there is focus on just fitness and nutrition. But this is a psychological process more than anything, really. Yeah. I mean, like our bumper music says, it's all in your head. Yeah. And if we get our thoughts and feelings in order, this becomes a very easy, very fulfilling, and happy process. By which to lose weight, to get down to your ideal weight, you know, it'll take some time. But once you get there, you'll be able to maintain this for your entire life, you know, as a lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. And we'd like
0: to hear from you guys. If you have a comment or a question, uh, please send us an email. It's info at com, And we'll answer your questions the best we can. And if you like this podcast, also, you can go to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. That would be very helpful. And we'll have that link for you in the show notes at Mm
1: healthymindfitbody.com. Get us up there in the iTunes ranking so more people can hear about us and get the good word out. Exactly. And you can always comment or ask questions after the show notes of each podcast or in the blog too in the comment section. So thanks for listening everyone and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks guys. Talk to you next week.